My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The day you stop learning is the day you die. There's, there's always new strategies out there. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're back with property investor Brendan Shine. After generating a good passive income throughout the years, his goals altered as he went along his journey. He realized he wanted more than cash flow. Therefore, he set out to research more and get his hands dirty with development and started to purchase land. Brendan Shine talks about the aha moments where everything just clicked for him. To tell you the honest truth, my aha moment is something that is always evolving. It really is. We, we have been growing, like I said at the beginning, we started off with we were looking for cash flow. That's what we were looking for. And, and then as we bought properties and, and we came across a multi-tenancy idea, our mindset grew. And that's something I've always tried to keep going, always try to keep learning is, is that there is the, the day you stop learning is the day you die. There's, there's always new strategies out there. You know what I mean? And I, But saying that, I like to, once I get to know a good strategy, stick to that strategy, you know, try to make it, once you get to know it, it becomes simple. Don't need to complicate it. Just stick to it, you know, and, and I've always been evolving. So... I wouldn't say I've had one particular R moment. I've probably had many small moments as we've gone through. We've we've jumped in and and, and and doing our first development, we just sort of jumped in and went, okay, and we learned as we went, which then when we went to the next one, we took a lot of those, you learnt what we've learnt and applied it to the next one. And it's just continued to fold and it's given us the experience over the years to be able to come into new properties and to be able to see pitfalls straight away, which we wouldn't have picked up five years ago, 10 years ago, we, we were green to it then. So we've always been hands-on and learning. I mean, I love to read books, but reading books is nothing compared to actually doing it. Shine shares the kind of strategy he has adopted to help him succeed along his journey. Currently, we've got a good passive income sitting there. So in the last probably eight years, we have started to move more towards development, trying to, to, to build chunks of cash. Um, again, as I said, when we first started out, it was about cash flow and that's what we wanted. 
but we learned over the years and as our equity grew in the properties we had and, and when we started renovating we could see the amount of equity we were building into the properties all of a sudden our mindset started to change to we don't just want cash flow cash flow is great but these bigger chunks will enable us to have a buy a better lifestyle which you know having that basic income wouldn't allow us to do so in 2009 we decided we would try our hands at um, developing and after much research we found a block of land on the Gold Coast on the northern end of it and a builder I think there was some sort of health issue and he had pre-approval to build a set of duplexes two three bedroom two bathroom double lock-up garage on a corner and he basically just wanted to sell it for what he had cost him so he offloaded that to us um, we were fortunate that the agent at that stage knew a small builder and put us in contact with him. So we ended up buying the block of land that was just 300,000. And the, when the builder came in, he, you know, he said, you know, he could build it for 345,000. And the agent had given us appraisals that we would be able to look at selling it for around 400,000, a duplex. So at that stage, you know, we were, we like that, those sums add up. So, we jumped in, never doing it before, but we thought, you know, you're going to learn on the go. And we learned many things through the build, what what's included, what's not included. You know, you know, when we started doing it and we were on a bit of a hill and they started building, there was this big cutout. And I said to the little, oh, what, what are you going to do here? And he goes, oh, that's not a part of the build. That's, that's our side of it. So all of a sudden we had to do retaining walls, which weren't included in it. So it was a lesson, you know what I mean? Next time we knew, you know, just because the builder says it's going to be X, you know, they always say you've got to have those contingencies, but, you know, we didn't have the foresight. We couldn't see what would happen. You know, we knew they were going to cut the block, but we didn't think, okay, if they cut the block, that means you're going to have more retaining. You're going to have to do something with that. It just, that was oblivious to us at that stage. So again, it was a big learning curve. He goes on to explain how he has learned from his mistakes by recognizing them as life lessons. It's the little things that are hidden, you know what I mean? And, and, and you're so right, we, we did a renovation on one of our units um, late 2009 and we replaced everything in the unit, cleaned it all up. But the only thing, it was a partially furnished unit. The only thing we didn't replace and it was the washing machine. Because, oh, it's, you know, it's only a couple of years old, it's all good. And two months later, got a call, the connection had busted and we had water everywhere through the place and the washing machine had also broken down. And we're like, the one thing we didn't do, failed. You know, it wasn't, we had tiled floors, like it wasn't a, a, a lot of damage, but it was just funny that we had replaced everything else. We replaced the fridge and the oven, but the one thing we didn't replace with, oh, it's okay, it's only a few years old, was the thing that failed on us. So, you know. <laughs> It's one of those lessons. So now when we go in, if they're partially furnished or renovating, we go, we'll just sell it and we'll just replace it so it's all new. It's under warranty, you know, so then at least if something goes wrong, we've got warranties on it. Take out the extra warranties when, when you're buying it, when they offer to you because, you know, as your own stuff, you know you're going to look after it because it's new. But tenants, you know, some tenants are fantastic and they look after everything like it's their own. Other ones, they're not so concerned. They're rough things break and you can't say well 
you know, you can't just point your finger and say, well, you broke the, the washing machine because it could have been faulty. But it's it's safer to just take that warranty out, that extra bit of warranty, and you can just ring up and say, okay, this has gone wrong. I've got the warranty and they'll come out and repair it or replace it, whatever it is. Since jumping into development, he shares more of the details and whether he has ever sought out consultants to help. In the first one we did, because we thought we were being smart, we bought it all pre-approved. It had been through DA, to town planners, you know, everything had been done. We were handed a set of building plans. All we needed to do was take it um, to a private certifier to get him to certify the building plans. We had all the work enduring. So in a sense, we jumped a, a massive step of it, which, you know, so we had done a whole development and built these stu- excuse me, built these duplexes, but we had never done source the land and take it through. So in that case, we didn't. But the next one, which we bought, yes, we, we bought it. We had to do a material change of use. So we then had to hire town planners and we, we went from scratch, so taking it as a raw piece of land to, again, we like buying corner blocks because we can always split the houses so that the houses face onto each separate street so they look like individual houses. So when people come down, they go, oh, that's a house. Oh, around the corner, that's a house. And, and people get a bit more privacy, which we found was always a comment we got when people came through the house that always say, oh, we thought this was a house being built. Oh, it's so great that they're completely separate. You're not on top of each other. How many of these type of developments have you done so far? We have done four sets of duplexes and we've also done um, two, three houses now. So we've, we'll basically nearly do one a year. So um, we, like I said, we did our first one in end of 2008 into 2009 and then end of 2009, we, we bought another block through Stocklands and then as the GFC was hit, because Stocklands wasn't moving the blocks, they actually contacted us and they said, we have another block which is only three lots up from yours and the builders pulled out. Um, we'll give it to you um, for what we had offered it to the builder who was 30000 less than the previous block. So we... So it was great. So we had paid two eighty two for the first one from Stocklands, and next thing they offered the next one at at, at two fifty to us. And we were like, we really wanted to do. It. Went to the bank, and they're like, oh, you, you, you're starting to get stretched here. And that's when we went. I went back to Todd from the bakery. By this stage, he had sold the bakery, and I said to him, you know, because we'd stayed friends after I left the bakery, and I told him what we were doing, and he said, you know what? I'd love to be a silent partner in this. You know, you guys are doing done so well. So he came on board as a silent partner and put up 50% of the funds. So that was our first experience into joint venture. So we literally had two two blocks. We we were building on one while the other was starting to go through. Again, we had to do another material change of use. We again we by this stage we had a good town planner um, and on board with us. My partner's father, he was a drafty, so he so that was fortunate for us. So he designed our house or duplexes for us. So he my wife sat down with him and, and, and sort of said, This is what we want and made them made them unique. And that was another key point we had sort of learned after doing our first one, because we'd bought from this other builder, we had learned after that he'd probably done about another fifteen sets of these duplexes that were identical. So you could go out you know, and, and at that stage, we didn't know. We knew he was a small builder, but we didn't realize how much he had done in, in the estate. So, 
you know, we were fortunate that we had Rhiannon's father who was a draftee and Rhiannon's very creative. So she sat down with him and they came up with designs that would suit the block. So we made it, we, were, we looked over the Narang State Forest. So we made it so each bedroom had a bit of a view. And as I said, we, we split the, the block so that each one had their own driveways on a separate street. So they look like individual houses. Um, it didn't cost a lot more to make them unique, but we decided we wouldn't go the cookie cutter sort of design. We would make them unique and we would aim towards the owner-occupier. And at the end of the day, we sold each of them to an owner-occupier. And actually, you know, at that that stage, 2010, 2011, we actually got the highest prices for the duplexes in the estate. Um, most duplexes were going for around the 400 to 415,000, and we achieved 425, 430, 445, and 447 over those four. So, you know, everyone thought they, you know, they were willing to pay it. They, they valued up. I mean, you could buy a house in the estate at that stage for that same price, but they were unique and they were a bit different and that's that was their selling point. I think a lot of investors just want to do a cookie cutter process, get it over and done with but when you actually put a little bit of detailed time, you can actually achieve a much better result than just to you know go with a standard stock and build. It doesn't have to cost a lot and that, and that is one thing over the years and speaking to other people, you mean a lot of them just try to, they just go, oh, I'm just going to buy this house and land package but they don't consider that there's probably another 50 of those identical houses down the road. They're like buying a townhouse I mean, what makes yours unique to the next house down the road? Why are you going to get a better price than the guy down the right, the road? You know what I mean? You've got the same layout, the, the same everything. You've got a lot more competition. Whereas if they're unique, especially, you know, we were doing it towards the own occupier. When people come in, they fell in love with it. It was different. They couldn't go out and purchase that anywhere else. So for us, that strategy was that we would aim towards the own occupier. We would play on their on their emotions that they would fall in love with the property and we knew that they couldn't find that somewhere else so it was unique and that was our strategy with those duplexes was to 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 aim towards that market and and it it worked out at the end we got a good price we were very happy with it shine shares more about his portfolio and how many properties he is currently holding we currently hold seven So, so at the moment um just on our investment side, the the value would be about two point seven million in value, and our debt ratio is is about just under two million dollars for everything. Um, but then, as I said, we we've always held a high ratio, so we whenever we could, we would redraw out the equity. So we've we also have another hundred and seventy six thousand in offset accounts, which we've drawn back out of the property so that we're ready to go. So if we find something, we're not having to go to the bank and, and trying to show our savings. We've generally got a good deposit. Plus from our other developments, we've, we've built up a good cash base to be able to to fund to get things started. So yeah, we, we currently sit around the, the 80%, which is high. And, 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 and I suppose for us now, we've got two little girls, we will start to bring that back. But when we were younger, and we were hungry, we were happy to, to ride on the edge of it all. So It's really interesting. Just the reason why I asked that is you've got passive income coming from those properties though. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So at the moment, we, we derive uh, just over 4000 a week in, in rental income. So we, we, we're definitely cash flow. So that's, again, we, we've had 
most of these properties now is the last we did a few more houses back up in Mount Isa in 2012 to 2014. I went back working in the mines and we ended up doing prefab houses up there this time around. There were some blocks of land that were quite cheap and rents were starting to go back up again. So to build up there was taking about six months and it was about $2,000 a square meter, which I mean, meant your house was going to cost 450000 plus to build a basic house. So we ended up doing prefab. We found a company called Westbuilt out at Warwick and we we got houses built them for about 270000 a piece. And they were three and four bedroom prefab. They took them eight weeks to build. They brought them up on the back of their trucks. They sent their guy up two days before and he just drilled the pier holes where the house was going to be reversed in. And they literally reversed these two pieces of the house in dropped it down and put it back together and all they had to do was patch up the plaster work inside, grout the tiles and then our electrician would come in and install the air conditioners and the plumber would come in and connect everything up underneath. But everything else was already in the house, all the kitchens, vanities, cabinetry, carpets, fans, they're all there. And they so we and then I would in turn on my days off from work and I had some friends that helped me. I did all the landscaping and everything. So pretty much from the day we said, let's let's build this, it took us about four months to have a complete, they would have all their side done. And then that was with me working four days on, four days off. I could have done it quicker if I just hired someone in, but I liked using my hands. So I did all the landscaping, installed irrigation because, you know, it's Northwest is quite hot up there. Again, it's going to be tenants. Um, so I installed irrigation systems just to make it as low maintenance for them as possible. And yeah, so that, that were the last four. And we re-rent them out now to um, Queensland Ambulance, Queensland Police, um, school teachers, they bring them in. So we, again, when we decided to do that, that was that strategy in Mount Isa. They, they, when they want to bring people in, they want to give them a nicer home. A lot of the houses are quite old. And so they struggled to get people into the town. So when they were looking for a property, they always went to new properties. So that was at that stage, that was our strategy to aim towards them. And that has worked out quite well. We, we've had a Woolworths manager in one of our properties for five years. And like I said, we've had the other services. They just basically change out their people. If someone gets transferred, they just generally put the next person in, which has been fantastic. Coming up after the break, we hear about Shine's biggest driving factor that encouraged him to get into property. As I started working, I started learning about passive income and, and, and what it could offer. It became a really big draw for me to, to be able to be financially able to be able to do things that I wasn't able to do as a child. The kinds of resources and mentors he has met across his journey. I'm involved with a lot of different networking groups. Um, Matt Jones, for example, you know what I mean? His resources are fantastic, you know. I, I go in, you know what I mean? Even though I've done developments, I go on and I listen to his different experiences and the different people that come along. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Despite prefab saving time and money, Shine discusses why many aren't choosing to use it. Do you know, I, I think that there was a stereotype. Um, I know I had it myself and my, 
when my wife first brought it up with me, you know, maybe we should look at this. I was thinking that they were going to be very simple, very basic, laminate sort of style that was going to be, yeah, not appealing. And I'm like, you know, I was thinking old cabins, you know, you go to a caravan park and you get those little cabins and that's what I was expecting. And when we went to our first one and I went in to the display house, I looked at it and I honestly went, there is no difference between this house here and our house at, at home, you know? They're both brand new, you have all the mod cons. You can have whatever you put into a normal house, you can put into these houses here. And yeah, so it, in our case, once they went on site, 99% of people couldn't tell that they were prefab. They just thought it was a house that was sitting 800 up off the ground. You could not tell at all. Even though we see videos and marketing material all behind it, people just don't accept it or take it on board as they should. But um, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. There might be a, a huge market here potentially to do this because it would speed things up. I think it is honestly, it is a fantastic part. And, and the other side of it was like they built, where they were building our houses, they had two teams that would work basically from 6 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night that would come in and you can keep working. There's no wet days. There's no downtime. You know what I mean? You, you, you have them on a, a, a production line and they just literally move them along. You know, honestly, I think until someone can see it, they realize the quality of them. They just, it's like I said, it's, it's just that perception that they're, they're of lower quality. They're not going to be as, a, as high quality as your, your standard brick and tile house which is not true at all. Once you've actually profited from these developments, did you reinvest that or put that money back into the portfolio to pay it down or what did you do with those funds? With the duplexes we did down on the Gold Coast, at that stage, we the first set we kept, one lot, my actually my parents came to visit the building site we were on and we looked over the Narang State Forest, we were halfway down a bit of a hill and my parents loved one of them so they said, you know, if you're happy to, we will buy one off you. So we sold one to my parents, and at that stage, we had I had moved back to the Gold Coast due to family issues, and we were renting near Rubina. And as we were progressing, we went. It would be cheaper to live in this this other duplex, so we decided to do that. And due to us always have had having investment properties, and at that stage. The twenty-one thousand was available as the first homeowners grant. Um, my wife decided she would we would because we had built it underneath a company structure, so we sold it from the company structure to my wife in her personal name, and she was able to apply for the twenty-one thousand dollars. So that was a a great bonus to, to have, and it was it was very handy. And and she then took those funds and set up her own. She has a online travel business, which obviously. In t- Today at the moment, it's not the best, but she set up a travel business doing travel accessories, travel products, which was a passion of hers. So she was that she took those funds to set up her business. But the the, the next two lots that we did at that stage, we decided to to sell them. Um, looking back on that now, that probably wasn't the smartest idea. We the the growth in them, we we should have kept them. But at that stage, our mindset was we will build, we will take the chunks out of it. And, and so we did that. So we took the money out and we reinvested it. Um, when, like I said, I had the opportunity to go back up to Mount Isa. I went this time. I went working underground, and again because I like, you know, I don't like sitting around on my bum. 
I, we were offered the blocks of land. We found three blocks of land in Mount Isa over an 18-month period, and we did the, the prefab property. So on my days off, I would be working on those properties, maintaining the other properties, were very hands-on. And yeah, so we, we did that up until 2015. By that stage, we had our first daughter, Isabella, and my wife, you know, was struggling, living out in the middle of nowhere without any family, which is completely understandable. So we decided we would relocate back down to the coast. And it must have been the gods, it, it must have been the right time because I went into work to hand in my notice to say that I, I wanted to resign. And there was a big work meeting and they said, we want 200 people to take redundancies. So, so it, you know, it, it, I, I've always been a, a big believer things happen for a reason. You know, when you put it out there into the universe, for whatever reason, it always comes back in some form. You know, you may not recognize it, but when I look back on it later, I'm like, you know, that we, we were looking for something or I... I, I I was confused about something and, and next thing the answer just seems to appear. So like I said, we, we had decided to move back. My wife, um, I took some time off work and we re relocated everyone back down. I thought um, actually at first I thought oh, I might do FIFO and we'll see how that goes and that lasted like two months and that's when, you know, we decided no, this wasn't working out. So like I said, I went in to, to give the notice and, and they put up the redundancies and so I had to work another two months. That was the catch. They 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 weren't ready for everyone to go straight away. So but yeah, I took the redundancy and we we I came back to the coast and we had our block of land already down at Lamble Heights in Northern Rivers down in on the Tweed and so before I left, I was you know, we drew out whatever equity we had in our properties there. Well I had a good income and we got our house plans drawn up for this for our family home, our forever home, and we got everything approved before the end of the eight weeks. And, and I I took that, and that's when I took my redundancy. And as I said, I I we had the the finances behind it to allow me not to have to go to work. But when there was the delay on starting up the build, I thought, well, I don't want to sit around again. And that's where my lawn and garden maintenance it just again it just it just happened and. It obviously was meant to be, and it grew. And Sean goes on to share with us his biggest driving factor for getting into property. As I said there at the beginning, you know, my parents—they, my my dad had was on a disability pension, so there was never a, a lot of money. We were comfortable, but as I started working, I started learning about passive income and and, and what it could offer. It became a really big draw for me to, to be able to be financially able to be able to do things that I wasn't able to do as a child. My parents weren't able to offer that to me and I wanted to be able to, to have that freedom to be able to go, I want to go learn French, you know, so I can stop and I can go and do that. I'm not just locked into work. Like after all my readings and, and, and learning, it really came apparent to me that if you're going to just go to work and put your money into super, you're going to work until you're 65 or plus these days, and then you've got your best years are gone, and and then you get to retire, and then you get to travel. Uh, to me, it didn't make sense. Like, so my driver behind it was that I wanted the ability to have that freedom if I wanted to stop and I wanted to travel. Um, at, at the very beginning, it, the driver was the passive income to replace my income. That was my original goal. I wanted to earn 
$600 a week. That was my goal because that's what I was earning. And I was like, if I can do that, I'm set. But obviously, I was young. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a lot of expenses. But that was the goal and that was my driver. And then as life has progressed, you know, we, we've kept growing and you know, we've had a family now. So now it's more about being able to provide for my family, be able to provide for my girls. If I want to be able to send them to a better school or if I want to be able to be able to put them into certain educational programs i've got that ability to do it whereas if i was just working for the man i have a set income and it doesn't matter how hard and how good i work for the man i'm still going to have that set income it doesn't matter what i do but when i work for myself or or i build my property portfolio i can earn extra money i can create money and every monday morning you know i know that money's going to come into my bank account and I've only just got out of bed. And if I decide to travel, like we were fortunate enough, we worked our tail ends off up until 2009. I didn't go out. At night time, I would be doing renovation. Whatever work I could do, we did do and we sacrificed. So in 2009, when we sold off one of our blocks of units and two of our houses, we went traveling for three months. Me and my wife, we went to Europe and we had a fantastic experience. And that even pushed me further to now that I had experienced that and I was able to enjoy that that you know it gave me more reason to pursue that to be able to have the choice which I think most people don't have you don't have a choice you've got to go to work if you don't go to work you, you can't pay your bills you, you you can't you can't survive so that's that's where my mindset comes from. It's it's about being able to provide. It's being able to provide, be able to give back to my parents. When we got married, we, we were fortunate enough again. We had the final, We got married in Greece. You know, a lot of people couldn't do that, but we went. We enjoyed Greece so much. We went to Santorini on our first trip, and we had the money. We were able to pay for my my parents to just come. Like that. Oh, I don't know if we can afford it. It's okay. We will pay. We were able to do that. I never would have been able to do that if I had stayed working in a bakery. You know what I mean? It just it never would have been possible. It, it, it opens so many doors. The hardworking investor talks about the kinds of mentors and resources he came across that have contributed to his success. Do you know what? We, <laughs> we didn't. We, which, again, looking back on it now, that would be something I would have been able to progress a lot faster. I did. We, we, we learned on the job. So we, we we did a lot of research, but at that stage, we didn't. Like today, I'm involved with a lot of different networking groups. Um, Matt Jones, for example, you know what I mean? His resources are fantastic, you know. I, I go in, you know what I mean? Even though I've done developments, I go on and I listen to his different experiences and the different people that come along, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm involved with different Facebook group, property groups, and you can ask questions. So. I think if I had that 10 years ago, I would be in a different spot to where I am today. But back then, you know, me and my wife, we, we bounced off each other. We, we worked really well together so that we were fortunate. What I lacked, she had good strengths in and vice versa. And we learned in the trenches. We, we, we had the mindset and we got in hard work, you know, and, and, and as those things arose, you know, we would then seek the answers, you know, or we would then ask the town planner, you know, or how do you do this? You know, we, the one of the first ones we've done, our builder, he had never built a set of duplexes and it came to the end when we were strata titling 
and there was an infrastructure charge of $15,000. And we're like, what's infrastructure charges? And the builder's like, oh, you know, I, I didn't allow for that. And, and we had to go to the surveyor and he's like, oh, no, that's that's the, you know, that was our cost. It's, it's your cost to strata tile it. You need to have this. And we're like, ooh, you know, <laughs> again, if we had a mentor, if we had someone, we would have known that. So that's, you know, looking back on it now, you know, having those team players, they're having someone to help you guide, someone who's already done it, who's down further down the path would have been fantastic. But we took our journey, we took our path um, and, and and we learned from our mistakes and then we would take what we learned and we would then put it into the next next property, the next deal. And, and you know, it's been a process of 16 years of learning stuff con- continuously. I'm, I'm always evolving. You know what I mean, and, and, and learning new new things. It's amazing what you've achieved in such a, in that period of time, though. I mean, I, I'm inspired just to hear your journey, and I think you know, as part of that, I guess it would have been great to have the mentors there, but nothing beats having that experience as well. And you learn those things so much faster and quickly too to be able to apply them. They stick in your mind a lot stronger, and that's what I was saying earlier. You know, you can read and read, but until it happens. You know, it really sticks in your mind. It's, it's it's a big lesson. You know what I mean? It I suppose it's the impact it can have. You can read it and go, oh, that's that's not good. But when it actually happens and, and you're in the trenches and you're like, I'm going to remember that next time or that's something to really observe when I go look at the next development or next property that I'm going to rent, you know, the infrastructure that's around it, you know what I mean? You, you become lot more aware of your surroundings it's not just the house you're buying or building it's the surrounding connections throughout his property investing journey sharon reflects on the best advice he has received always try to be the small fish in the big tank you know always try to be around those other people even though we didn't always emulate that and and and, you know get out there but i i as i've evolved I, i mean in the last Four or five years, I've definitely taken that advice. I've, like I said, I've joined up with a lot of different um, property groups and everything, and that has been the best thing I could have done because there are so many people out there that you wouldn't even realise who have done so much. I mean, I go to, like I said, I go to Matt Jones um, meetups once a month, and you meet the average person. You know, you wouldn't think of it, and you start talking to them, and they're like, "Oh, I'm doing a ten a, a 10 lot subdivision or I'm building five townhouses and their lessons that you know when you start talking to them oh you know I didn't realize this and you're like oh I hadn't thought of that before you know how did that affect you um or, or vice versa I, when I'm talking to them they're like this and I go oh in my experience and and you can get that back and forth happening If he had some time to reflect on his past self 10 years ago, we find out what he would have said to himself. I probably would have said, you know, stick to the strategies that you're on at the moment, you know. It may, you know, for us, we started doing some of the developments and it became a lot simpler, you know, once we knew the rules, how how to do it. Um, And and then we, we sort of divulged out of it we thought no this is too simple you know are are we missing something and we started looking at other things and i think looking back on it if we had stuck to the 
to what we were doing, finding the blocks of lands and the duplexes. I probably would have done more. We 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 started looking at other other opportunities. We didn't pursue them, but there was a lot of opportunities we probably missed because we 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 sort of went off our path a little bit. But you know, thankfully we we it didn't hurt. I suppose our financial position when we did go off our path a little bit. So, last question for you, Brennan is how much of your success is due to skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck? I would really say probably, you know, 25% of it would be luck. You know, when we went into the market in Mount Isa, you know, even though we had learnt about Extrata coming in and they'll put money in it, we never anticipated that, you know, properties would grow so quickly. Like, houses were being sold before they even got onto realestate.com by mid to late 2005 um, we were lucky that we had made a lot of good connections with real estate agents up then so we were getting access to it and because they knew we were ready to go when they came to market we got access to them but it yeah it 25% of that you know we couldn't have forecast that the other 75% you know it really took us years on the front line of learning the process taking actions taking the risks you know, working through these things, learning how to pinpoint the properties and, and their potentials, you know, dealing with the tenants, you know, financial education, mindset, you know, the accounting side of things like we managed our properties for the first 10 years. So we dealt with all the tenants. So, you know, doing, you know, the rental tenancies, you know, and, and making sure that they're up to, to date with their rent, you know, renewing their leases, you know, and you know, when someone moved out, you know, making sure that we had all that covered. And then as we sort of moved into development side of things, you know, dealing with the local councils, compiling the development applications, you know, we even though we ended, we had the town planner, but it was still learning that process, you know, getting through that, um, dealing with covenants, you know, when we went in, what you can, what you can't do. So it really has been a lot of the work. Being in the trenches, I would put, you know, 75% really comes back to hard work you know what i mean if you are willing to put yourself out there and learn you know you really can succeed i was just going to say i, I haven't really heard that many people actually manage their own properties but um, you know you take it off uh, you know hats off to you because it's not easy managing your own again it was that that mindset of we can do it you know right or wrong like now i we have we have property managers who look after our properties and I, you know, I deal with them and they deal with the tenants. But at the time, you know, we were like, well, why, why can't we do it? You know, you know, we probably lost some rent. You know what I mean? We weren't the, the best property managers, you know, we weren't. But that being said, the process of it all and, and going through it, you know, again, it was another massive learning curve, you know, dealing with tenants coming in how to manage tenants' concerns or, or complaints. You know, I mean, we had some tenants that were absolutely fantastic and you wouldn't know that there was a problem at the house and they repaired it. You have other tenants who would ring up and complain and tell you you need an electrician to come out because the light wasn't working and it turned out they just didn't know where the light point was. You know, you, you turn, you know, uh, you know, and the electrician would call and go, yeah, they didn't realise the light point was on the other side of the wall in the laundry. And I'm like, really? But, you know, Again, I've, I've been there, you know. So now I, I suppose I have an appreciation for my property managers who, who look after my properties when, you know, they're going through things. It's, again, I've been there. So I understand what they're going through. So, you know, it's not an easy job. 
Um, I think a lot of people just expect miracles from their property managers and that, that you know, they're just going to be able to solve everything. Sometimes it's, you know, it's not that easy. You know, I mean, you're dealing with people sometimes better for worse can make your life quite difficult or, you know, they may have good jobs, but sometimes they can do the silliest things like the, the light switch. It was an engineer who worked at the mine and he rang me and he said, the light doesn't come on out the back. And I'm like, really? It was a brand new house. And it was literally, he was, couldn't find the light switch. He was flicking a switch and looking for the light to come on outside. And I don't know what switch he was flicking, but it wasn't the light out the back. And we ended up with an electrician there. Thank you to Brendan Shine, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.